You are listening to episode 250 of the Game Deflators Podcast. My name's John, and I'm joined by Ryan. Hey, everybody here at the Game Deflators Podcast. We like to talk about games we've recently picked up, games we're currently playing, and we take a double-dip nostalgia trip in this week's 250th episode, Inflation Deflation Challenge. That's right. So we are celebrating 250 episodes of the Game Flavors podcast. We decided to take a dip into, like Ryan said, prior nostalgic games that we played. So we took two games from our prior 200 episodes. Um, I don't know where we came up with that number. We just decided let's pull one from episodes 1 through 100 and then 1 through episodes 1 through 200. So uh, up on the list today is going to be Monster in My Pocket and Simpsons Road Rage. Funny enough, though, Simpsons Road Rage, Ryan didn't play with me. Uh, I actually played a Christopher Pico old-ass retro gamer while you were out uh, that day. So it's, it was kind of cool to get, like, for me, the, like, replay, but also for you, like, the fresh new view as well. So kind of like a net new inflation deflation for you and then, like, a duel for both of us on the other front. Yeah, I've not had, like, any crazy taxi experience or anything, really, so not bad. I enjoyed myself. Yeah. So we'll dive into both those games at the end of the episode. But first, you can find us on thegamedeflators.com. You can also find us on at Game Deflators on X or Twitter, whatever you want to call it, at The Game Deflators on Instagram and Facebook. You can find us at The Game Deflators on YouTube. And of course, the podcast application you're listening to right now, leave us a five-star review. Okay. Current pickups and currently playing. So... Pickups, Magic the Gathering cards, always Magic the Gathering cards. We uh, did some pre-release this week. We'll talk about that in a little bit as well. Uh, but we played, um, what is it? Not Throne of Eldraine. Wilds of Wild, Eldraine. Yeah, Wilds of Eldraine. The other one was Throne of Eldraine. Uh, so it's a new set coming out September 5th. I think today is, what, the 3rd? So it comes out Tuesday. Uh, really cool set. I was actually pretty impressed with uh, the animate style cards for like the older stuff that was released. Um, it was interesting to see all like the fairy tale kind of twist on stuff. That was pretty cool. Uh, so I, I had a good time with it, to be honest with pre-release. Most pre-releases, I don't have a great time. Uh, this one was actually really cool. Yeah, this was a great set. I had a lot of fun with it. I definitely am glad that I consulted a pre-release like draft kind of guide before I went just because there's like so many archetypes and so many mechanics going on in this set that I'm really... Glad that I had some insight before I jumped in. But yeah, this was probably one of the better pre-release. Like I felt like most people there were able to pull something pretty decent together because of the different archetypes and how well everything kind of blends. Because sometimes at pre-release, it's just like way worse than draft even because you've got more packs to pick from, but you've got no direction that you can steer it in. It's just what it is. Yeah, you know, I'll say that I had some decent pickups in my actual, like, cards that I got, but they weren't, like, good enough to actually play through a, you know, Swiss tournament, basically, and mm -hmm. what we did. So, like, I ended up playing green-white with mine. I know you did red-black uh, rats with tokens and such. Yours was actually pretty effective. Mine kind of hinged on several cards being put into play, and unless I didn't, if I didn't draw those, I was kind of screwed. I had a couple board wipes, which came in, like, nice and handy, but there was just too many answers that people had in limited play for it to really have crazy effects. So I think I went one and two, but you also went yeah, one and two. Yeah, we both went one and two. Yeah. 
Uh, other than that, though, I picked up the Rick and Morty D&D set. So they had that like box set with like a 48-page small campaign, Rick it's and Morty. It's like Lost Minds of Fandelver, but Rick and Morty style. It's something like that. And it was 30 bucks, right? So normally, <clears throat> that particular set goes for about 50 to 60 on the regular. And the shop that we went to, these guys are normally like priced up the ass on everything. Like if you're looking at, for example, a book that is third party from Amazon and it's normally like 30 bucks, they're selling it for like 40 type of deal or minis go for like a couple bucks more than regular. So little things like that, their, their booster packs for magic are higher price. They price everything up on like magic gathering booster boxes in general. So normally you're pretty bad, but they actually had this at 30 bucks because they were selling it at market price or like retail based on the, you know, the label versus what secondary market was, which was very surprising to me. So when I didn't see a tag on that box and I saw the $30 tag on the back, I'm like, hmm, let me check their website. It was also $30 on a website. So I'm like, ah, I'm good. I'm just going to buy it here because, you know. It's not something they just have at Target? No. Like that, dude, I go on, I went on Amazon. I went on eBay. All of them are like, I think the lowest I saw is 45 bucks plus $5 shipping plus tax. So you're looking at like 60 bucks total in there. There were several that were $60. And then Amazon was like a consistent $65 for the same set. So it's just one of those things that like, unless you can find it at a $30 price point, which is what it was originally released at, you're going to be paying more, mm-hmm. you know, and it's not exactly the easiest thing to come across. Like I haven't seen it at my target that I went to. So I wish I would have got the, um, uh, which one was it? The stranger things one. Mm. Cause that one's like 90 to $120 now. Oh wow. Same deal. Like a little tiny, little tiny book, you know, but it has a mini with it. This one I don't think does. So pick that up as well. Uh, games that I'm currently playing right now. So I'm still playing Magic the Gathering Arenas. Uh, I am saving up my cash on Arenas or my gold tokens. So I've got 24,000 gold on there. Uh, the goal is to get to 40,000, uh, which I should be able to achieve by next week. And then I'll buy 40 packs of Eldraine on there and also get like a couple bonus cards and some bonus alternate art things. And uh, on top of that, I got to Diamond 2, Diamond Level 2 on there. Uh, with my burn deck, which is a couple steps away from Mythic. I could not get to Mythic. It sucked. Uh, but, you know, end of the, uh, you know, period of time or season, I ended up getting, uh, it was like four booster packs, a thousand gold, and like an extra card or something like that. So, <clears throat> you know, it makes it worth it to do that. Uh, really, what I'm hoping to do is get enough of those Eldraine cards and rare cards to build up like a blue-black deck, see how it performs on the regular, and then based on that, make the purchase on physical cards even if it's like 250 bucks to get like an actual deck set if i can get something that's like top tier meta because of the new eldraine set then i'll do it i don't want to do anything prior to eldraine just because it's on the way out it's on the way out right you don't know like what's going to be coming in what's going to be um you know kind of the new meta looks like blue black is going to kind of hold up and so it's the direction i'm going to go i'm just going to you know play through it on arenas see how things go on there and uh you know, purchase the cards physically. I do have my poison deck I built a while back, and I've got some red, or I got black rats, like toxic rats that I'm making. Uh, that's also coming through. So, well, a bunch of new rat stuff coming in. Yeah, exactly. So that's why I was asking if you wanted to do um, play some standard with a couple decks, because I'm going to have my poison deck, which is like just straight toxic creatures. And then I'm going to have the rat deck, which is like ninja rats and all this other crazy stuff. So two tribal type decks should be kind of fun to play against each other. Uh, so... That's the situation there. And then 
White Knight Chronicles. I've been trying to play more White Knight Chronicles. I am still in like this same section, and it's not that like I don't want to play it. It's that every time I log on, it's like kind of late, and I fall asleep in the middle of it. So like last night, I got through like a bunch of enemies. I'm like, okay, cool. I got to this bridge and had this like giant enemy, and I could like I was literally falling asleep while attacking, mm -hmm. pressing the X button, and I got this big enemy. I'm like, uh, I'm gonna go save. I've literally started killed all the enemies and saved the same exact process like five times now because it's just how it works out you just out. gotta get some time where you can actually get over that hump yeah and it's just so difficult man like there's days where i try to start at like 10 and i just fall asleep yeah and then there's other days where i'm like up till 11 or 12 but then i start to play and then i fall asleep because it's already too late at that point so that's really what's happening there why that hasn't progressed anywhere i really want to dive into it deeper um and then I sorted magic cards the whole week, so that probably kind of cut into a lot of my gaming time this week as well. Uh, I mean, you saw the picture, and yeah. I, I post on Instagram as well for us. It's just like, oh God, what is it, like four or 5,000 count boxes plus some 2,000 count boxes that I was going through. That's not including the 3,000 count box that I still have to go through, and then like all of the fat pat boxes that I have to go through as well. So like, I'm getting there, to be honest. Like, I'm super close to knocking out like the older stuff that I know is not organized. And what I mean by that is the collections that I bought, I got from Justin um, a few years back and he actually organized it. So like if I'm pulling, you know, a certain set and I'm like, Oh, here's blue cards from like M14. He's got all of the cancels together. He's got all of like the, you know, boomerangs together. He's got all the unsummons together. Like everything is together. So as I'm going through, I could be like, oh, cool. I already have four of those. Toss the rest into this pile. And then I'm just giving that to a friend of mine who's nice. out in Florida. So he is he's getting all of my bulk. And I just sent him like 7,500 cards the other day. And I've got another like 3,000 in waiting so far. Looking to send him another 7,500 hopefully. Dang. Yeah. So, I mean, if you dude, if you think about it, like that's excess. So I probably, I, th I overestimate. I thought I only had like 20,000 cards. I probably honestly have like 60,000 cards yeah. in the collection. Well, I mean, if you just count 5,000 boxes. Yeah, 5,000 count boxes. I mean, it's probably like plus minus like a few hundred, but still like that's four of them sitting on a table and it's not including. I, I probably honestly have right now after getting rid of that stuff, I probably have in total about, I would say eight 5,000 count boxes. So that's about 40,000 cards now. And I already got rid of, you know, 7,500. I've got another amount coming through. So, yeah, it's closer to 60K. And that's not including my rares, my decks, and other commander cards and stuff like that that I have set aside. Binder cards that I've got. I've got, like, four or five binders, like, fit, like thick, you know, it's like yeah. four-inch binders filled to the brim with, like, bulk rares and stuff. So, there's a ton of stuff to go through. Um, it's going to take me forever. But once I get rid of all that, like, bulk... I'll scale down even further to say, oh, I have a giant growth in four different sets. Yeah, I was just going to say, like, there's so many reprints that, like, if you've got a full play set, you've probably got, like, eight full play sets. Yeah, ideally, I would love to get to the point if there was something that was a little more automated where I could just, like, scan my cards. But the problem is, is that those programs, or not those programs, but the machines that do that are, like, thousands of dollars to do that. And that, to me, is just not worth it. Mm -mm. Um, you know, yeah, it's my time, but at the same time I'm going through, I'm finding like dollar rares or dollar uncommons and commons, things that are four or five dollars as I'm going through. I just found like 80 bucks worth of 
uncommons the other day, just at random. So, I mean, there's good stuff in there. It's just a matter of going through it at this mm-hmm. point. So, all right. How about yourself? Uh, so I've been pretty light the last week or two. Um, we went, like you said, we did the pre-release the other night. So I haven't picked up anything else recently. I mean, I did like the preload for Starfield on my Xbox. So I'm all ready for Tuesday for that to roll out. Um, I put Sea of Stars on there too, because that just came out as a day one release. Mm-hmm. I know the completionist just put up a video today. That's one that I really want to check out. But I mean, between <laughs> I spent so much time yesterday thinking about going back and playing Darkness and just didn't get around to it because I was doing other stuff at the house. So it's like, I know that I need to get back and finish that real soon. And then Pikmin's like around the corner for me as well that I need to finish that. But with Starfield about to come out, it's like, oh my God, where am I going to do all this? Plus, I'm, you know, most of the way through Final Fantasy IX. I will say, Ryan, pumpkin spice products are on the shelf. Fall is coming, so mm-hmm. darkness is probably your top priority. Yeah, it is. I think, um, and you still got Pikmin. Yeah, I know. I just said that. I don't. I don't. Yeah, I know. I'm just adding to it. But like, I, I can't even remember what the hell mine was. Uh, you did. What did you do? I don't remember. I don't either. See, that's how long ago it was, Ryan, that I finished. Oh, my... uh, Kuan, right? No, no, not Kuan. Um, the. I don't know what the hell I did the this year. The turn-based, or no, the like tactical RPG that oh, took you forever. Yeah, Cardia. 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 I th- God, yeah, that took me forever. And I'm like, Cardia, Kuan, same difference. <laughs> yeah, that took me forever. And I was falling asleep, had a baby, and you're like, eh, I'll get through Pikmin eventually. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, um, the amount of time that I need to spend on e- any of these games isn't really that much. Like, I know that I'm well more than halfway through the darkness. I'm at least halfway through Pikmin. I'm right near, like, somewhere in disc three of uh, Final Fantasy IX. And I keep doing the same thing you do. Like, I'm in this area where I don't really know where to go next. And I've ran all around it, like, three times and killed a bunch of enemies and leveled up. And it's like, where do I go? Yeah. I just haven't consulted a guide yet. But, yeah, this week just was not a big week for playing games for me. I, unlike you, am most of the way through the One Piece live action. Uh, got two more episodes left, and I will say that it is really good. Bree really likes it. I really nice. like it. I know a lot of people aren't happy with certain things of it, but I think that they did just about everything right. And if you can get over the fact that, hey, you know, they had to adapt in order to get hundreds of chapters into eight episodes... Uh, it's really pretty good. I think that they did a good job, like mainlining the story and getting things to make, you know, pretty good sense and showing a bit enough of everything that they need to. So, well, and they do things in a way to kind of help people that aren't a big, you know, that don't understand the series or haven't read the series or anything like that, you know, understand the characters better. Right. So a couple things that I noticed that kind of bugged me. One of them is that kid Luffy doesn't exactly have a thick accent. But to me, adult Luffy has a thicker accent. So, like, you could tell, I'm like, technically, the child would have a very similar accent growing up as to what the adult would have later on. You're so nitpicky. I I know, but it's just one of those things that stood out to me. I'm like, okay, that's kind of interesting. Um, So, that one kind of stood out to me right off the bat. But, 
you know, I do like the way that they introduced Zoro and they brought in the Baroque works. So I saw um, like the first 20 minutes, basically, because my wife fell asleep and I want to watch it with her. So I saw Zoro and like his whole like introductory and you're like, oh, okay, that's kind of giving a better explanation to what's happening. The introduction of Baroque works doesn't make it so confusing. So that later on, so spoilers, if you've never read One Piece or watched it, um, that later on when Baroque works hopefully does come into play, People aren't like, wait, what the hell is going on? Who's Baroque Works? What's happening here? There was that introduction in the beginning. And in Nami with the, uh, you know, stealing of that ship, right? Like that uh, automatically puts her down as like cat burglar. So you know, oh, okay, she is a pirate. So that when it does come down the road and there's that story tie-in, there, there's going to be an understanding. And this is me only looking at it from, like I said, 20 minutes into episode one. So I can see why people would complain, but at the same time, you're right. It's eight episodes to condense a lot of chapters and a lot of episodes, technically. Yeah. So we'll see how it comes out. But I mean, critic reviews in like the high 80s and, um, you know, general viewer reviews sitting at like 95 on Rotten Tomatoes, like that to me is solid when you're looking at an anime adaptation. Uh, one other thing to point out, One Piece, since you're on that, is I actually watched episode uh, 1074 last night. So, dude, the whole, like, well, you know what happens, right? Or no. what's going on? The gears and everything? No. No? Okay, I won't spoil anything then. Um, but, yeah, his uh, battle that's going on right now on episode 1074, if you haven't seen it yet, I'm so disappointed of how they ended that episode because I'm like, oh. I got to wait a whole other week just to see, like, I already know what happens, but like, I wanted to see that whole piece kind of play out and now I got to wait a week. So. Yeah. 95 chapters of the manga. Oh, is that what's in there? Yeah. So it's like a 10th of one piece almost. Yeah, basically. Yeah. It's about right. So realistically, we're looking at 10 seasons at minimum to catch up to where they are right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's going to be difficult. And I, so much cut content. <laughs> Yeah, so much cut content. It'll be interesting to see how it plays out long term. But you know what that tells me, though, is either one of two things. Either they're anticipating One Piece is going to last 10 plus years, right, to finish it up. Or as I think Oda had said, like he's anticipating a few more years of chapters, like two or three more years. Hopefully they don't condense and are like, oh, we'll bash it all into like four seasons. And skip like everything. Yeah, you know. I know that they're going to try to position this as like Netflix's Game of Thrones, like length and quality, you know, type of production. They kind of we'll have see. to. They kind of have to, you know. But it's such a huge fan base that it's going to turn some heads into the direction of Netflix. I think it's a smart move if they really put that effort towards making this like a top tier piece. But yeah. then what does that say about their other original content? Yeah, you know? exactly. Uh, okay, well, let's dive into discussion topic, unless you had anything else on currently playing. Yeah, so speaking of new unoriginal content. Lorcana. Lorcana. So neither John or I have actually played this, so we'll preface it with that. But I've seen it played, though. Yeah, we were talking, and it seems like there's still some cool things to like kind of go over here. I am kind of on the the position side where I know very little about Lorcana, but, you know, as with probably a lot of people out there who may have dabbled in, like, some Pokemon or some Magic or Yu-Gi-Oh! or whatever the case may be at some point in their life, 
and they're into Disney and they see this game come out, like they may be tempted to go and check it out. So I'm definitely curious in those ways to see exactly how the game is. And I mean, I always love art and who doesn't love opening packs of cards and stuff. So if there was like uh, an event at a store that was like, you know, a pre-release or a draft, I, I don't even know if you can draft with this game or whatever, but whatever the case may be, this is definitely something I would be interested in checking out if I had some other people to kind of check it out with. But I, I haven't done a whole lot of research and John definitely has learned a lot more about it than I have. Uh, to an extent. Um, so the main reason I'm not interested in this is I have zero interest in getting involved in a game that I feel is going to die within the next few years. Mm -hmm. I can't see this being a long-term type of project for Disney. I can see them doing it you know, a few years at most and then cutting their ties when it's no longer as profitable as they think it's going to be. And, you know, main reason is you look at other card games. Magic Gathering's been around for 30 years now. It's kind of like, I wouldn't say the original, but it's kind of the OG of trading card It's the card one games. everybody calls the base game, basically. Yeah, and so, like, Lorcana, they're like, oh, it's Disney's answer to Magic the Gathering. Like, if you're saying it's your answer to Magic the Gathering, then Magic the Gathering is obviously top tier. Magic has already won. Yeah, Magic's already won, right? So you got 30 years of that Pokemon, you've got, what, 20-something years of Pokemon, roughly, Pokemon trading cards. And the game has had its ups and downs in terms of, like, playability, but there is a big community around the Pokemon game itself. And it's actually growing as of late because of Pokemon Go, a lot of the new uh, things that have come Pokemon out for Pokemon has so many other avenues to truck people in. Yeah. to the gaming space and yeah there's disney games but it's gaming related already of yeah. pokemon right people so, aren't like playing uh whatever that new mickey mouse platformer that came out like it's supposed to be a pretty good game but like people don't associate disney off the bat with gaming yeah the way they do pokemon and so while disney does have a big fan base right if you consider a few things disney's fan base yes mainly kids does have adults that are big into that nostalgia. But if you're an adult who's actively doing like competitive card games and you have a choice between Lorcana and a tried and true Magic the Gathering that you've been playing for many years, you're gonna play Lorcana for a little bit, but you're gonna go back to Disney. I mean not Disney, you're gonna go back to <laughs> you're gonna go back to Magic Gathering. You'll watch Disney movies, but you're gonna go back to Magic Gathering. And then with the kids, kids are eventually at some point gonna grow out of the fact that it's Disney, right? So you do have kids and adults that play Pokemon still. But it's a little different again. Um, when you think about like the characters in the world of Disney, Pokemon has 25 something years of like hundreds upon hundreds of Pokemon and trainers and energies and lore and things that have come into it. Disney has movies, and those movies have main characters. And Disney some, has series. Yes, they have series. But they have the, Star Wars. Yeah, but are they going to incorporate Star Wars? Are they going to incorporate Marvel? <laughs> maybe, maybe not. And that's fine. But like when you start, say you incorporate Marvel, you're going to have like Marvel characters going up against Mickey Mouse in battle. I don't know. It just seems weird. Kingdom to me, Hearts, too. it worked there. It, it did work there, but they don't have the rights to technically, you know, all of those other characters, maybe Sora. So when I just look at the two avenues that this could go, right? Community-based game where people are actively playing in competitive tournaments and trying to win cards and all that and you have your people that are literally actually three avenues people that are buying it to flip the product because that's actually pretty big right now yeah. that's one of the reasons things are so high is that the secondary market's insane with people that are just trying to you know 
buy as much product as they can and sell it at the highest price, right? There's going to come a point in time where that's done. So that's gone. Those people are no longer buying. You're going to have the people that are going to start buying, but are they just collecting or are they playing the game? Odds are, even if they start playing over time, may lose interest if it's not compelling enough and there's not a community built around it. Even what we saw at the uh, story went to the other day, there was like 10 people in that chart. They have a Norcana League or Lorcana League going on. There was like 10 people in the chart. That's not very big. Whereas when we went with Magic, you had like 30 people just sitting there. And that's not including the people that were there for prior pre-releases and people that were there playing Modern while we were there as well. Yeah. So, you know, yes, it's a new game. Yes, it's out of stock everywhere. Can I see this going in a positive direction? No. I look at things like Card Cardfight Vanguard, the Dragon Ball Z game, even a One Piece game that's come out, which, you know, is it popular? Maybe to some people. Um, you've got things like, uh, what did you say? Legend of the Stars, Legend of Five Stars or something? Uh, I think it's Legend of the Ten Rings or Ten something. Ten Rings. Uh, you have Net, Netrunner, which was actually created by creators of Magic the Gathering, uh, and that failed over a period of time. Like, There's tons, and even on Kickstarter, there's tons of new trading card games that come out that just fail over time. Like over, it, They could last a few years, but then they're gone. And Disney's not the type of company that's going to sit there with a failed product and say, yep, we're going to keep pumping out this product and it's going to be super successful. And this could bite me in the ass, you know, five years down the road, somebody's listening and says I'm totally wrong, but I could be totally right in a couple of years as well. And that's where I think it's going to be. So that is all, that is me just throwing all that out there. Yeah. I think that, you know, there's a few different types of things happening here. You covered all of them pretty well. I mean, I've always heard that Pokemon and Magic kind of exist as inverses of one another, where I would agree with like that. 70% of people who buy Magic buy it to play, 30% are just collectors, whereas Pokemon, 70% of people just buy the cards to have them and don't really play, 30% play. So, I mean, with the number of people that are on that like Lorcana League play chart, like, obviously, that store has sold more cards than just the cards to those people and flippers. Like, they definitely probably sold them to people who just want the cool art and the rush of opening packs and have disposable income. So, like, if that catches on, you know, it could last, like you were saying, maybe a few years until Disney decides that it's not worth investing the money in. Because, like... Disney has the money to steamroll this for as long as they want and make it happen. But Disney also has a bottom line that they're going to, you know, not be afraid to just kill things off. Like they're already so eager to like pull fully released completed works off of Disney Plus that they own the rights to just so that they can get like a tax break on it and save a little bit money on residuals, like things that have been out like less than six months, they'll just kill off. So Disney's definitely not afraid to do that either. I think that ultimately what will really depend on is the next like release set. Like when you go from here's the base game, now it's out there, everybody's played it, where do we go next? How do we elevate this and how do we keep it rolling? Like if they can make good decisions at that point, you know, it may totally flip things around. Like, I mean, how different did Magic become when they released like Planeswalkers and, you know, started to do things 
you know, different than they had been doing for like the last 10 years. Yeah. Like if you can shift up the meta and make the game more interesting and get it in enough people's hands, like I guess that's really the challenge right now is that there's not enough to go out for curious people to really be able to just dip their toes in and play without having to play a premium. And there's no like online, you know, magic arena equivalent at this point, because that would cost so much money to develop and release for something that's already unproven. So there's not really a great, you know, test bed for the casual person to well, get in on. Well, and then a couple other things is like, we're very early on, right? So if you look at Flesh and Blood, which is another card game that's very comparable to Magic, and if there was something that would pull me away, it would be Flesh and Blood. Um, but that particular game, it saw prices like, in the thousands for their first edition boxes that came out because they do like first edition. Isn't it like super print. cheap game now? It's cheaper from what I understand, but like those first edition prints, like their beta and alpha type sets, went for stupid amounts of money because, you know, speculation. Oh, this is going to be magic think it'll killer. Age like magic. Yeah, they're thinking, oh, well, this will age like magic. I'll have tons of money in this down the road, blah, blah. You know, I haven't heard much since then. Like, if you looked at Channel Fireball, um, I would get ads for them all the time. They're usually their big trading card uh, company, essentially. And they were just pushing flesh and blood constantly. Box sets, combos, everything. I haven't seen a single ad in the last year for that. And every time I go to a shop, I don't hear anything about flesh and blood tournaments. I see a small little section of flesh and blood cards. This was like, in terms of the card community, a huge potential magic killer. And people were saying, oh, it's tons of fun. It's the best thing you've ever played. Now it's like crickets everywhere. I don't see anything about it. And so I could see Lorcana taking a similar step. It's big right now. Disney fans are like, I have to get my hands. I got to collect the Lorcana cards, right? It's not about playing. It's collect the Lorcana cards because I want to collect them. And then uh, in terms of people that actively want to play, well, now you've got the secondary market, right? Are you spending a bunch of money or are you waiting for things to get cheaper? And as you wait for things to get cheaper, what happens into, you know, the cards that you have picked up? Is Disney going to have massive amounts of reprints? It's not like Disney is going to create a, you know, do not print again list, right? I could see it going down the path of like Yu-Gi-Oh! Where Yu-Gi-Oh! originally had Exodia sitting at like 50, 60 bucks, uh, an arm and a leg, and a head to where now they're like 30 cents for like an Exodia leg, right? So those prices over various reprints continued to decline, and I could see something very similar happen in Lorcana. And on top of that, I mean, how much can you expand that world? It's not like you can create, I mean, you could, I guess, theoretically, but like create new characters specifically to the Lorcana world. I mean, maybe. Well, I, I mean, the thing is, like, you have so many of those characters that have been in so many different situations. I mean, how many different yeah. types of Mickey Mouse could yeah, you Yeah, you can make? have, like, seven Elsas in, in a thing, like Elsa's Ice Fury or Elsa's Heart or whatever. I don't know. You can have tons of cards. I mean, there's a billion Jaces. Yeah, there are a billion Jaces, but they're all very different Jaces that do different things. And okay, there's also... So here's yeah, another on. thing. So Lorcana will be released to start in English, French, and German. Uh, it's likely later on that they'll do Japanese, Chinese, and Spanish. So, I mean, I don't know how many languages Magic is in or how long it took them to get there, but, like, I know Japan has a lot of card stores, and, like, they're big on Yu-Gi-Oh! and Pokemon and Magic, but if this isn't even out there, and it's going to take them, you know, a year to release it over there, 
and you're speculating only two to three years of support in total, they're making it there halfway through the life cycle when it's already almost dead. So it's like, you know, I, I don't know how important international markets are to them, but like Disney is a universal, like around the world brand. So it would make sense to me to try to bring that to as many places as soon as possible because it's not just about what the adoption rate is here necessarily. Well, the adoption rate here, the reason they start here is because the adoption rate is going to be better here. What they should have realistically done, which would have actually been kind of smart, is released it in international markets first, like a Japan, like a China, a France, etc. Kind of moved it into those areas to create more pop in the United States where you're going to have a bigger fan base anyways then release it here because you're going to get those people buying international cards. You're going to have the international markets buying cards. And then when it finally releases in the U.S., people are going to go so crazy over the fact that it's everywhere else but the United States that they'll buy it. So I think, honestly, they did themselves a disservice by not creating more buzz. There was already buzz, but they could have created more buzz. I wonder if they'll have it at, like, Disneyland and Disney World. Like, I mean, like, just in the shops. Yeah, probably. I I would assume so. Well, uh, enough about Lorcana. Let's talk 250 episodes. Uh, I don't know how the hell we have done that many episodes. Because we're still having fun. That's the thing, folks. We're here. We're having a good time. We love to do the podcast. I like to come hang out with John, bust his balls, and play some games every once in a while. What about my balls? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, 250 episodes. Like yeah. five years. We went back uh, today. Like we said earlier, we're doing... A couple of games from the past. And it's just crazy how we've had these, you know, different phases where the podcast was like slightly differently or when we tried to do new introductory things, like when we started doing the Triple Threat Throwdown or the Starter Kit Showdowns, like, you know, the future of the podcast is is very bright. I don't see us really slowing down anytime soon. Tons of guests, former hosts no longer with us. I don't think we'll go down the route of three hosts again. Uh, so it's, it's always good. And then of course, you know, I think the areas that we can get better on are, uh, production on video would be nice, but <laughs> we'll get that's there. so, that's so tough to do that. So it's like, do you keep it as just a podcast or do you expand out the video? I think the route we've gone, we're just kind of uploading our content on YouTube as audio has been good. And then of course, whenever we have a chance to do some sort of like little bits of video, you know, things like we have on our YouTube, we've got like 30 second plays of content or us opening books or commentating on things we've got a couple like physical reviews and package opens for video games for like premium edition games and uh brian rigsby um who's created a few old retro game books for us uh to open so yeah tons of great content and uh i mean i'm looking forward to i guess the next 250 episodes it's kind of crazy to think about how many episodes we could do well and see where it takes us i mean we've already been to three or four conventions getting media passes we've gotten you know lots of connections with like some small indie devs and some different people you know in the industry like people that you know through voice acting work i mean we've been listened to in you know a decent handful of countries already there's a lot of countries on our list actually we've got south africa of course the uk australia france i think we've we've had the island of man which is like and that's not like a bot listen. That's like a straight up, we have somebody out there that listens to us, which is pretty cool. I wish I comment on her stuff. They probably have. He's the man. Uh, he the is, one he the is, island's talking about. Yeah, the island of, or Isle of Man. Like, uh, that's the dude. Yeah. 
Um, I know we've had people from like Ireland and Canada, obviously, South American countries occasionally. So uh, we've had a few Russian downloads, which is pretty cool. They, they probably listen to our Russian specific episodes on, you know, what's happening with their video games over there. So yeah, it's, it's pretty cool. Like just to see how it's grown from where we were, I guess, technically five years ago to where we are now, it's insane to see like, you know, just the overall growth and what we've been able to do. And then just the overall growth in terms of like the spread of that content. So thank you. Thank yes. you everybody for listening. Uh, if you don't, regularly leave a comment this would be a great episode to maybe just you know break that tradition and go out there and say hey thank you for 250 episodes we would really appreciate that and we love to be able to you know foster some more community and and talk to some more of you and and know what you've liked about you know what was your favorite episode over the past 250 episodes what's a a game that you would like us to revisit it again in the future and see mm -hmm. if it's something that still holds up uh so i know he's listening right now will i need you to leave that comment and say thank you for 250 episodes <laughs> and also let us know what your favorite episode was really appreciate that all right, let's dive into our discussion topics this week or articles for the week that we're going to cover. So Starfield's Metacritic score has fallen. It is no longer 2023's highest rated Xbox game. This is Tyler Fisher at comicbook.com. Uh, so basically the game comes out September 6th. Uh, of course, there are reviews that are in market right now. Early access started on the 1st, I think. Yeah, and then you've, of course, had your review embargoes gone. So I think like IGN gave it like a 6, which is kind of crazy, or 7. 7. Um but yeah, like there's places giving it 10 out of 10, some places giving it 8 out of 10, 9 out of 10, and then there's a lot that are giving 6 to 7 out of 10. And, you know, it has dropped the score from what was, of course, like I said, the highest score of 2023 on Xbox to now 7th, uh, I believe it is, on Xbox and 11th on PC for the year. Uh, actually, I think it's behind Fallout 4, if I'm correct. And yeah, of course, so yeah. in the historical Bethesda universe, uh, Fallout 4 came out with scores 84, 87, 88. Uh, and that was behind Skyrim at 92, 94, 96. Yeah. So definitely kind of continuing that decline. But I think that from what I've heard, at the beginning I was trying to be as like, uninformed as possible but that doesn't usually last for me <laughs> usually i'm like i want to know things and see stuff and one of my uh, favorite creators he's been making some little guides and short videos that don't have a lot of spoilers but just enough um and this is one of those games that everybody's saying and i think this is probably one of the reasons for a lower score is it's one of those ones where it's like hey you got to play like 12 20 hours before you really start to come around to the game more and get used to how it's different and and how it plays regularly well and that's a tough ask for people the other thing coming out of it too that i've seen is people saying you know hey look visually it looks great i love the ability to explore planets but it gets old quick mm -hmm. and the story's not very good. See, I've heard the opposite. I've heard that this is Bethesda's best story. And uh, Mr. Matty Place even said that he believes that this is just like a really good story in general. But you need to, in order to get the most out of the game, you need to un-Bethesda yourself and not just go wander off and do stuff. You need to follow the story for at least a little while and do some kind of 
you know, getting yourself more vested before you decide to go peter off and do whatever. Well, and that's the issue is that people are going to go explore planets. They're going to have that fun. Like there was somebody said, I went to like an abandoned mine on a planet and got completely lost or I got lost in another planet. And like you spend countless, like it's worth it, right? You enjoy yourself, but it takes away from the core part of that story having to do all of that. So it's almost like you kind of wish that they would lock things like that. Like, don't make it so exploratory from the get-go. Like, put it to where you've got, you know, you got to play 10 to 15 hours of story and really get yourself integrated before you can truly explore, like, the yeah. vast planets and, like, really dive yourself in. Because by then, you're hooked on story. And you're like, mm -hmm. oh, cool. Like, I need to continue this on. And then knowing that I can explore various areas afterwards if I want to. Um, even if it's as simple as, like, you know, hey, let's make the story 15, 20 hours, complete it. And then after the story's done, you can do all the side quests you want and pick up additional stories that take you wherever you want to go, right? So I'm I'm going to play it at some point. You know, I'll get Game Pass on the PC and that's where I'll play it. Uh, but as of right now, I'm so like bogged down with everything else and not being able to play the games that I've wanted to play that it makes no sense for me to put another 10 bucks a month towards something that I'm not going to play anytime soon. So... That's where I'm at with that. But uh, yeah, I don't think this is anything abnormal. I think it's still good reviews overall. Um, this has just been a stellar year for gaming. Like yeah. We've been absolutely spoiled for choice uh, for great games. Uh, one thing I'm thinking, though, is that these scores and kind of the general opinion of things, I don't really see Starfield being a huge contender for game of the year. Like we kind of all really initially thought it would. I mean, at this point I would say it would be pretty hard for something to take down Baldur's gate three. Like, I think it's yeah. just got so much hype and just good review and everything behind it that that's going to be the game of the year to try to beat. And I don't think Starfield it has what it takes to dethrone that really. Like maybe you'll get it as game of the year from like more traditional Xbox aligned but like places or something. Isn't it technically an RPG? So it's not even like they can win RPG of the year because that'll go to Baldur's Gate or Final Fantasy. Yeah. You know, like you're not going to win game of the year because Baldur's Gate exists. Like. There might be a few awards you might get for like visuals, but that could still go to Final St Fantasy. I still 16. don't think, yeah. So like, it, this could be a game that like, it's a good game, but it just isn't critically acclaimed compared to some of the other games. Because like you said, ton, we're not even through the year, yeah. And tons of great content has come out. So, um, one other comment that I'll add here is that to me, looking at this, it's like it's Fallout in space. Yeah, that's really what it kind of comes out to. So, if you love the Fallout games, which I do then you're going to love this and you're going to enjoy it. Uh, if you're not a big fan of Fallout, then you're probably not going to like it. Mm -hmm. uh, and it almost seems to me like, yes, it's you know a brand new game and it's in space and everything else, but in a way it's also recycled content if you think about it. Like in terms of the overall like what's happening, it's a very recycled you know type of game. So nothing groundbreaking in my opinion uh, as of now, but I haven't played it yet, so we'll see what happens. Okay, um, SAG-AFTRA, right, AFTRA, has uh, requested approval to strike against video game companies, and this is Ava Rothenberg at CNN. So you, like, randomly just spotted this one today. And, um, you know, I think that it's it's not abnormal, right? We've already seen, like, the SAG strikes on everything else that's going on, right? And if you're to, 
you know, have something on video games and try and compete for like better wages, it makes sense. Like that's the reason that that organization exists is specifically to help boost the wages of actors. And when you think actors and actresses and, um, and voice actors who are part of this as well, you know, a lot of people think they make a ton of money. That's far from the case. Yeah, voice actors, there's a reason that they're going and doing all the signings at all of the different yeah. cons that they get invited to because they make a little extra money there. Yeah. I mean, it's not like they're making Hollywood dollars. They don't get any residuals. They like they go in, they record, they get paid, and that's the last that they hear about it really unless they get asked to do something else afterwards yeah and there's some that do get residuals like i know back in the day with like pokemon i think they got residual income that came from it uh originally but i don't i don't know well video game side video game side yeah well so think about like the voice actors in the shows like you said like some of them do go because it's extra money some of them go because they just want to meet fans it's just Mm -hmm. ultimately what it comes down to um but you know i know voice actors that live in a studio apartment Mm -hmm. or they are struggling financially and you know they need this right they need that extra pay to come through and accounting for inflation as well so i think they're looking for an 11 percent increase in pay and then they're also looking for uh, i believe it's a four percent increase to account for inflation Mm -hmm. it makes sense and if you kind of take away the multi-million dollar major hollywood actors uh, that are part of sag and you really kind of take a deeper look into the fact that there's B movies and C movies and people are trying background to background actors. Yeah. Like those people need that boost in income. Uh, and this is huge for them. So hundred percent supportive of this, obviously. Um, usually I'm not a big fan of unions, but uh, in this case it makes sense, right? Because it's a different type of ball game compared to, you know, a salaried worker working for the, the County, right? It's a little different in that respect. This is straight up, almost gig work in a sense um, with these folks. And then of course, everybody, like you said, behind the scenes, people that are working on stage props and are handling, you know, various setups and whatnot or audio equipment. Like this isn't just the people you see on screen. Yeah. And I mean, we've heard a lot over the last couple of years for unionization across the board, programmers, artists, uh, even testing teams and such, you know, the amount of, just disrespect that the video game industry has for all of its employees, except for its CEO most of the time, you know, is astounding. So finally trying to, you know, get some more upfront representation for some of these unrepresented groups, but now actually showing some challenge from one of the few that has been represented because the voice actors have always been a part of sag after they don't get the same cut deal like they've got with hollywood studios which is why they're having to kind of do this separately but you know they're just going to keep steamrolling and doing whatever they want and trying to use ai to replace people like they're all about that bottom dollar and just milking the creativity out of anybody that they can sucker into coming and working for them so the more that they can push back and and get together and you know, try to establish better rights for themselves, the more that can hopefully bleed over into those other parts of the industry too, and hopefully make things better for everyone. I mean, at the end of the day, we all want great games. They all want to put out great products and the studio wants to make as much money as humanly possible. And not all of those things can coincide together. Mm -hmm. So 
I'm all for this. I think that it would be, you know, a good challenge to show. And it's something that wouldn't have been possible at all in the past. Because for the most part, we all expect fully voice acted games. And we still don't even get that. Like in Final Fantasy 16, there's parts where it's like full voice acting and still parts where you're just reading, you know, dialogue lines. Mm -hmm. And I mean... As opposed to reading as I am, <laughs> I I don't think it's the worst thing ever, but like there's definitely not been a time in history where it's like, okay, we expect this from the game, and if they're not going to be able to provide it, what are you going to do? You're going to release a giant $100, $300 million game with just dialogue text? Like People are not going to really let that fly in the same way that they used to. No, not at all. So uh, if you are, you know, part of SAG, uh, you know, kudos to you for uh, trying to get that extra pay. And uh, we are supportive of that, obviously. Come on the podcast. We will let you use your voice to talk, talk all about it. Although we can't pay you. So sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, can't pay that, Ryan. Like, so we're not part of that. We're not supportive of that. Uh, You'll do right. this for free, right? For the passion? <laughs> for the passion. <laughs> for uh, what, what was the old thing? Uh, exposure. Exposure. Yeah, exposure, yeah. Um, okay, so Super Mario Bros. Wonder. Uh, the makers explain the new gameplay and the elephant in the room. Uh, this is James <laughs> Perkins at, what is that? NPR. Oh, okay, NPR. Oh, James Perkins, Mastro Mario, and Alex Cheng. That's I was like, what the heck is that organization? I didn't realize it. Oh yeah, James Perkins, Mastro Marino, and Alex Chang at yeah. NPR. At NPR. I this... actually have a. I actually have an old uh, classmate that works at NPR marketing. Oh, nice. Yeah. I think of all of the Mario trailers that I have seen, this is probably the most excited I've been for a Mario. Since, like, Galaxy? Because yeah, I'm not a big Mario person. I mean, I played Mario last year for the podcast. Yeah, you played Odyssey. Yeah, I like to play, you know, a few levels. I'll usually make it up to, like, the bridge with the saws in Super Mario World. Or, like, I'll play through, like, the first, like, couple of paintings in N64 or Mario 64. Like, that's most of my Mario is just kind of dipping my toes here and there. But the amount of differences and just the visual, like, impressiveness of this game, like, the backgrounds are really vibrant and colorful. Some of the new enemies and things are clever. They've got this badge system where you can change the abilities of the characters as you play rather than have, like, Peach does the float thing. Luigi jumps a little higher. Like, you can badge on a single ability that makes them different. Like, even having, like, a grappling hook mm -hmm. effect and things. And they're not just, like, power-ups. They're a part of your full play style throughout the game. I think that it's it's done so much to really modernize Mario and bring forward, like, a lot of aspects that I would never have expected to just be present in a Mario game because I just figured Mario would always be exactly the same thing. Run and jump. Yeah, and so speaking of power-ups, you have like the bubble power-up, which allows you to like, you know, capture enemies and destroy them through like walls and from a distance or anything else. But what I found really cool is the ability to like use bubbles as like a jumping pad to go yeah. to different things. That was pretty awesome. 
Uh, they have a drill head now where you can kind of drill into the ceiling and go underground to avoid enemies. Uh, you can go underneath barriers to get into secret locations, go under enemies uh, from the floor. You can bash bigger enemies with the head. So cool things like that. And then they have the elephant, which can spray water. He can bash blocks, um, go down pipes, obviously, run across larger gaps, uh, hit enemies, pop enemies and blocks upwards to be able to kill them. So really cool power-ups that they've included here. And, you know, just watching, you know, trailers of this, the trippiness of the background and, you know, and every all the colors, like you said, it, to me, pulled me in more than any more recent Mario games that have come out, specifically, like, the new Super Mario Bros. games that came out on the Wii and Wii U. Uh, those felt kind of classic with a few additions. This, to me, feels very different, which is a lot to say because it's Mario. So I'm actually excited about this. And I told you this one could potentially be like a day one buy for me, uh, which is very rare, but it is Mario. So I don't anticipate it dropping, you know, anywhere below $50 in the next year. So why am I going to, you know, save $10 over the next year or two years? Yeah. Uh, you know, based on inflation alone, like it doesn't make sense for me to wait. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm actually pretty excited about this one. Uh, I did like that they're going to the Flower Kingdom. Mm -hmm. That was pretty cool. And then Bowser's new, like, let me just unload toxic shrooms on everything and change all of these environments uh, was pretty badass, too. Like, just that he's unveiled his own new power as well. So uh, lots of different characters that you can play in this one in comparison to others. So you have Peach, Luigi, Mario, of course, Yoshi, and then there's other Toads that you could play uh, along with Toad and other Yoshi colors. So uh, And Nabbit's back. Yeah. So And Daisy. And Daisy, yeah, Daisy is in too. So yeah, there's a, a very wide cast. Of and they're Forbes. all just available. Yeah. So that's pretty cool. Uh, you mentioned a badge system and power-ups. That was uh, obviously a, a different turning point this go-round compared to other times. So that's also pretty cool. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I heard in the trailer some voices as well, like actual yeah, voice acting so, from NPCs. Yeah, the little flower things will talk to you. We did get confirmation also this week. Um it is a new Mario voice actor mm. on that game. Yeah. Interesting. So we'll see how that yeah, sounds. Yeah, because uh, Charles Martinet, he's going to go on to be the Mario ambassador. Yeah, and that's correct. So, I mean, I saw people speculate when the first trailer came out that it was a different voice sounding to them. Um, so we got confirmation on that recently as well. The one thing I do want to address from this article specifically here that's pretty good, I think we were all thrown by the elephant. I mean, it's not the first time Mario's ever been an animal. I mean, there's like frog suit, squirrel suit, tanuki, uh, bee Mario. Like, there's lots of animal Marios, but elephant just seems so bizarre and weird. And I love how straightforward the explanation. They're like, having a slightly bigger body, being able to attack blocks from the side, and being able to spray water... I mean, the elephant's the only natural answer to this. Like, they just, they knew what they wanted the powers to be. And they were just like, sounds like an elephant to me. Make an elephant, Mario. They could have brought back a frog. I mean, there's other things they could have done. Like, obviously, the big bulkiness is what you want. But, like, frog Mario would have been pretty cool, too, to bring back, yeah. in my opinion. I think that it's going to be a really interesting game. I, I do kind of like that three-quarter on perspective, like... Mario's running sideways, but he's always kind of looking at you while he's doing it. Mm -hmm. I kind of like that. The Yoshis, I think, look a little bit weird when they got their full mouths. But it is cool how, like, 
so Yoshi's and Nabbit are like easy mode. You don't take any damage. And then Yoshi has like his flutter jump and can swallow things, but you can still ride Yoshi. Yeah. Um, they've got this whole pseudo online mode where you're not really playing online with other people, but you've got like ghost shadows of everybody else. And if you die, they can bring you back. And you can kind of interact with them in some subtle ways, but it's not like you can jump on their heads and disrupt them and, and do stuff like you could in local co-op. Yeah, and one other thing that I like that they brought back into this was the ability to swap in and out of certain powers. So if you had like a fire mushroom and you had an elephant, for example, you could, you know, situationally, you could go ahead and like, oh, I need the elephant for this. Oh, I need to use my fire flower for this. Like you could swap in and out. I remember that being a big thing in Super Mario World on the Super Nintendo, which I really enjoyed. <laughs> Yeah, it would pop down. This is now a little balloon pops up. So, really cool. Uh, definitely looking forward to it. I think we'll do a review on that when it comes out. Yeah, sounds good. Yep. All right, let's dive into our inflation deflation. Uh, That's a double deflation today, folks. Or it's a double inflation. Could be one of the two. Uh, so, we're playing Monster in My Pocket for the NES. This is from our Season 2, Episode 4, or technically Episode 4. Uh, so, you could check that out on uh, your podcast app. It was, that was the original time we played it. Yeah, original time. Uh, so that's like pretty much four or five years ago. Yeah, it was one of our first episodes. This was a game. So we knew we wanted to go back and revisit some things that we had played before. Monster in My Pocket, I think I recommended it in my um, starter kit showdown for the NES. I, this is just a game I really liked it when we played it originally. And I've always kind of thought about it again, but I mean, I'm not like over here just playing random games. Like usually we've got an agenda to do. You know, I think this is technically episode nine, technically speaking. I'm okay. just thinking about it because I did like four episodes, episode or yeah, four episodes. Episode one is legit a lost episode, like first ever episode before you're on the podcast that I don't know where the hell it is. Um, I think it was honestly a joke. It was, we're just not going to have an episode one. We'll mm. just call it a lost episode and it'll always be lost. Uh, so that might be what happened there. But then season four, or season two, episode four would technically be, I think, episode nine. Um, but to your point, right? Like this was one of the first games that you and I played together. We had a lot of fun back then. And you're like, let's revisit for sure. We always wanted to revisit certain games. Uh, there was one we didn't play today that I really wanted to revisit. But one day. Couldn't couldn't get it done. We'll, we'll talk about that one another time. But this game was developed by Konami. It was published by Konami uh, for North America, and it was uh, published by Palcom for the PAL region. So funny enough, PAL, Palcom. It was released in 1992 in some various regions, uh, so North America, PAL, everywhere else. It was a platformer, or is a platformer, with a reception of 6 to 7 out of 10, synopsis-wise. Uh, or, oh. what? Oh. Okay, so a couple things here. So Warlock, wanting to have power and rule over the other monsters, creates a shrinking spell to use as punishment for anyone who chooses to oppose him. As time goes on, all of the monsters choose to join his side except Vampire and Monster. However, the spell was, uh, was that, my cast? Miscast. Miscast. I can't read it from here. Uh, causing all monsters to shrink in size, Warlock sends out his henchmen, led by Spring-Heeled Jack, Bigfoot, Kraken, Gremlin, and Medusa, while Vampire and the Monster are watching TV in the Miles' home. Uh, they must fight their way through the upstairs and kitchen of the home, the street, and the sewer. They emerge in a construction site 
and an Orientalist garden before fighting Warlock at the Monster Mountain. So that's really the big long synopsis of what the heck's happening along some spoilers. A fun fact though, the Asian release of this game was titled Batman and the Flash. It's an unlicensed ROM hack of a game uh, where the main playable characters are, of course, Batman and Flash. Yeah, so this was based off of like a toy line. There was a, a trading card for it. There was a comic book for it. There might have been a series for it. I don't I think remember. Toys. Yeah, but like little tiny, just you know, like plastic cast monster figurines that could fit in your pocket. I think it's a fun concept for a thing, and uh, I mean, it obviously made some big waves, and and a lot of people got involved and it had a lot of multimedia aspects to it uh reception on this not the best it gets like a six seven out of ten um money wise though we're looking pretty good so complete inbox 280 dollars uh when we originally reviewed this back in 2018 pre-pandemic we had no idea what was coming or did we with the prices but uh, it used to be ninety seven eighty eight at that time. So since we reviewed it originally, it's gone up $182.82 in value. Um, it peaked at two eighty seventy back in May 2023, uh, excluding just a random like $300 sale that happened in 2016. Uh, loose. Now it's running fifty nine sixty nine. Uh, when we looked at it in twenty eighteen, it was at thirty nine dollars. So it's gone up twenty dollars and sixty nine cents in the last few years on the loose side, and that peaked at eighty dollars and sixty one cents in September twenty twenty one. That one's trending down. So this is a way more expensive game than the first time we checked it out. I, it just goes to show you sometimes you know you should listen to your friends, the game deflators. We're we're trying to help you folks out here. So, you know, based on that type of thinking, and I mean, if you want to, of course, hear our original review on this game, I don't think we need to do a re-review, right, of this. We revisit it, and I think we can both say we enjoyed it. Right? Oh, yeah. There's this a lot is... of, this is a great game. It's it's fun, and it's easy, too. It's not like Nintendo stupid difficulty. Yeah. Like, this is very fluid and easy to play. Um, so, you know, listen to that older episode, of course. Uh, but I think it's just right. I mean, given the age of a game given where it stood and how much it's increased in price point, is it going to continue to increase? I would say probably. I mean, it's trending down right now, but like it's gone up 20 bucks for the loose. And it I was would definitely sit- pick that up now. And it was sitting at 80 bucks during pandemic. So people were willing to shell out 80 bucks back then. If you haven't played this, you don't want to emulate, you want to have a physical copy and you want a nice pristine, clean copy. Pick it up now while you can, you know, because this is one of those that it will probably continue to go up. We've already seen it go up. So. Yeah. I mean, if you've really got the money, I mean, obviously that complete inbox shot way up. So, I mean, if the market keeps going that way, it may be worth investing in either way. And this is a fun game where, like, you can breeze through because there's only seven stages. So it's a quick game. Like, we got through in, like, 30 minutes. We got through, like, four, four and a half stages pretty quick. Um, it's a quick game. But, like, this is something if you have kids... They're going to enjoy playing it. You can play two-player with them. And you can speed run it, too, if that's your thing. So definitely think just right. Yeah, and it's one that's worth revisiting, you know, every so many years anyways. Like, this is definitely a game that if I had, I would play it every once in a while. Yep. The next one, this one's actually close to me because I'm a big fan of this franchise in general. But 
Uh, Simpsons Road Rage uh, on the PS2. So this is also released on, I think, the Xbox and the GameCube. I want to say PS2 is the cheapest version you can get, or Xbox. Uh, but we, well, not we, me and Christopher Pico actually reviewed this on episode 147 of the podcast. He actually took a different turn. He didn't have it on the uh, on the PS2 or Xbox or anything. So Chris actually played it on the Game Boy Advance. So we did a dual inflation deflation that mm. day as well. He did the Game Boy Advance version. I did the PS2 version. Uh, this game was developed by Radical Entertainment. It was published by EA. It was directed by James Seraldi. It was released in 2001 in various regions uh, during that time period. Uh, the game type is vehicular combat, and a reception is like a 5 to 6 out of 10. So general synopsis here is Mr. Burns has bought all the transit systems in Springfield, because of course he would. And he's begun to create radioactive buses that threaten the public health. Because of this, the citizens of Springfield must use their own cars as a means of safer public transportation and earn money in an attempt to pay back burns and get rid of the radioactive buses and return the town back to normal. So a little fun fact here, uh, which is probably to no surprise if you play Crazy Taxi. During 2003, Sega creator and owner of the Crazy Taxi franchise filed a lawsuit against Fox Interactive and Electronic Arts and Radical Entertainment claiming that Road Rage was a patent infringement of the former as both games featured nearly identical gameplay and objectives with the Crazy Taxi game engine. According to IGN, Road Rage features similar gameplay to the point where some reviewers commented negatively on the parallels. The in the case of Sega of America Incorporated versus Fox Interactive, uh, it was settled in a private mediation for an undisclosed amount. So clearly they settled, Sega got some money, and Fox Interactive clearly knew, along with EA and Radical Entertainment, that they were definitely in the wrong on this one. Um, just a quick thing on here. If you haven't played it, it is pretty much crazy taxi with the Simpsons. Uh, you <laughs> you know, it, it really is just like exactly the same. You have all of the Simpsons areas, not all of them, but like, you know, the mountain. You've got the entertainment district. It's a good stretch of Springfield. The homes, yeah. It's, it expands pretty far out. I remember beating this game pretty handily years ago. Um and like I said, just like Crazy Tax, you pick up different characters. They all have little things they say, like their catchphrases, like Apu says he's going to party like it's on sale for $19.95. Uh, you have the uh, captain talking about barnacles, uh, Homer singing Mr. Plow when you play as Mr. Plow. Lisa at some point says, hey, I need to be picked up, and I'm against fossil fuels, but I need a lift, like little things like that. A lot of fun little quippy comments. So if you're a fan of The Simpsons you and you haven't played this, you'd probably enjoy it. Uh Ryan, anything else to add to that? No, I've never really played the Crazy Taxi games before. It never really was a genre that interested me. Like, I would see it, and it's just kind of, like, too arcadey for me for the most part. Mm -hmm. But I think that level of nostalgia for The Simpsons really kind of throws it over to the edge, where I was actually having a pretty good time playing it, driving around Springfield, kind of seeing how, like, it's that curiosity, like, when they finally released... Uh, stick of truth and you've got a pretty good map of South Park like it's good to see this place that you're so familiar with but kind of have some idea of how everything's actually related and laid out mm -hmm. uh, that's kind of fun all of yeah the different voice lines there's lots of different unlockable characters the challenge of it too uh, is actually more compelling of an arcade game than I thought because you are trying to get you know as high a score as you can but that like rush of like trying to get to the next drop off and then you've got your 
timer like constantly ticking down, but you get more time when you pick up a passenger. So it's like you could have 10 seconds left, but if you find a passenger right next to the last one that you dropped off, like you can actually kind of keep pushing and maybe even like gain some time. So the better you are, the like crazier and more hectic it is. I imagine you're looking at historic prices from a couple of years ago. Yes, sir. So, um, you know, one other thing while you're looking up that is we actually play two player on this as well, the head to head. Uh, and you essentially go through whatever district you want to go through in Springfield. And there's one passenger and you guys got to race to that passenger. And of course you can steal the passenger by hitting your opponent's vehicle. So I completely demolished Ryan, $10,000 to $2,000 now, yeah. or, or was it three? I don't remember, but it was funny. The first one you stole from me, like I got the passenger and you're like, Oh, what's going on? You stole it the last second. I'm like you son of a bitch. <laughs> and, uh, after that, it was like a 7,000 to one run. You got one more for me, but I think the most hilarious moment while we were playing is I was looking at the map and I saw your vehicle rounding the corner. I'm like, I'm just going to sit here in front of where you need to be dropped off. And you ran into me and you're like, what happened to my passenger? I'm like, it's mine. And then, uh, you know, wrapped around and, and got the points. So that was a, that was a lot of fun. I enjoyed that, uh, that bit of it. So complete in box is 1374 right now that peaked in uh well june of 2013 or 2023 sorry not 2013 uh by two pennies so 1376 in june of 2023 it's actually trending up a loose copy right now i'll run you 1006 uh that peaked at 1128 in J july of 2023 uh, and that's also trending up so we played this episode when ryan or this, this was game? in september 2021 so currently at that time Sorry, I, I looked up Simpsons Road Rage again. Or, or hit, and uh, hit and Run again. Ryan, Ryan, Ryan. Yeah, so as we were filling out this like template for today, I'm going through and I'm like, why the heck is Road Rage like $35? And of course, it was actually Hit and Run. Yeah. And the synopsis made no sense when I was looking at it. So it looks like um, complete inbox, we're down. So uh, it was 1053 when we first reviewed it back in September 21. So... It's gone up like two dollars and twenty or nineteen cents, mm -hmm. or three nineteen actually. And then loose was seven thirty, so that's gone up uh, another three dollars. So pretty much in line. So this was still really cheap. Yeah, and because it's so cheap right now, and it's a great crazy taxi clone yeah. in my opinion. So if you're a fan of The Simpsons and you like that crazy taxi gameplay, to me. This is deflated to me. I, I would be willing to pay $15 for this game today if I didn't have it for a nice copy. Yeah, and I think that maybe the biggest difference that we can see here between, you know, Monster in My Pocket and Simpsons, I mean, they're both big media franchises that were very, you know, successful in their time. I mean, Simpsons is still around, but I, you know, not nearly as big as it was previously. I think that you know, the nostalgia for the way older games, that market we've seen shoot up. But like the PS2, I mean, it's not that people don't buy stuff for the PS2, 
But this game was probably so widely released because it was at like peak Simpsons time. This is probably not a game that's going to rise much more than just the cost of inflation. Like this is probably going to be a game that you're always going to be able to get a hold of at a fairly reasonable price. Like if this one like shot through the moon, it would be because somebody bought up all the copies and was selling them from one source or something. Yeah, like the GameCube version is like notoriously high compared to this. So like, and that makes sense, right? Because of the actual install base on the GameCube in comparison to what is it, 150 something million? The most million. selling console ever made. Yeah, exactly. So um, yeah, I think when you look at it in that respect, like buy it on PS2 if you got a PS2 and enjoy it. Like it's it's actually a ton of fun. I think they actually did. Oh no, I think that I'm thinking of Hit and Run again. Yeah, you and I have played. I don't think we played Hit and Run yet, but we've no, we did play some. Hit we and Run. did. So we've played. I think like most of the Simpsons games, which is actually kind of cool. Mm-hmm. So, all right. Well, um, thank you again to all of our listeners who have kept up with us for 250 episodes. Woo! It's been a good time so far, and we'll keep it going. This has been. Game Deflators Podcast, episode 250. My name's John. I'm Ryan. And thanks for listening. Thank you.